African in the heat. But no, I'm stuck in Michigan. <laughs> that okay. went somewhere completely different from where okay. I thought you, we were going to go. You made the choice to move to Michigan, dude. Well, yes, but I didn't make the choice to be a resident of the United States of America. Yeah, like that one, I, I can't argue with that one. But you actively chose to come here. <laughs> No. You know, your parents are to blame partially for this and their parents before them and so on, because they could have left the country. <laughs> oh, sure. There's a deep style. No. Like, are you kidding? <laughs> no. That, that, that's a no. Uh, <laughs> I am really struggling to not include this bit of dialogue into the podcast now, because it's a perfect bit of humor because <laughs> i have been recording for like probably all of a minute and 10 seconds now um oh, wow. of course <laughs> which you know we got a little later start so we'll we'll get on the ball really quick um hello everyone episode i don't even know what number we're on these days of semi bookish i'm gonna guess i'm gonna guess 11 i think you're right Today's episode is an honor, a recognition. I don't want to say an honor. It's kind of a weird verb to use there, but or um, phrase to use. But in recognition of Black History Month, um, born of a discussion with our illustrious Anthony and Jen, African American literature. Now, as I explained to this in our little separate chat elsewhere, um, black writers, black uh, stories. Um, but I'm going to turn this over shortly to Mr. Anthony and or Jen because I was a little distracted when we were initially talking about this. You know, my whole no sugar thing. I hate life right now. Um, but you weren't on the no sugar when we started talking about this. Say that That's again. That's true. <laughs> oh, is there a call out here? I'm calling you out. Oh, was it? Wait, when did we talk about it? See, memory's that bad. <laughs> yeah, maybe we shouldn't let the old man lead the discussion. Anthony, do you want to let this one go? <laughs> well, first, I want to find out what everyone's reading. Okay. Yes. Pick someone. Uh, oh, well, uh, I'll go first. Yay, <laughs> okay. So, uh, I don't care whatever else anyone else is reading. I'm reading the best book right now. Um, it's called Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. Yes, I'm late. The entire rest of the world read this book like five years ago when it came out. But I love it so much. It's, I'm listening to the audiobook, which is narrated by Andy. Tell us who it's narrated by. Bonnie the Gold Standard Turpin. That's her official middle name, as I understand it. The Gold Standard. I believe you. Uh, yeah, it's so good. I think the book, like, would have been good anyway, regardless. But I think because I'm listening to it by someone who's just this good, it makes the book that much better. Um, and I highly recommend it. So, if you love, if you love good books, and if you're not scared of magic, do this book. All right, Grant. What are you reading? Uh, okay. Um, I am uh, 
<laughs> I'm reading uh, The Great and Secret Show by Clive Barker. Um, perhaps best known for uh, uh, writing and directing Hellraiser, but I've never actually read one of his uh, novels. So, um, I mean, Hellraiser is one of my, it's easily like in my top five horror movies. So, um, although um, this is more of a kind of dark fantasy type of situation and uh right i'm not super far into it but i'm liking it it's very trippy very nice 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 all right aaron what um, lead us to that? um so i just started it so ask me again in two weeks but i <laughs> grabbed it so I'm kind of plugging it at the same time. So, you know, if you haven't done it yet, grab a book at the library. We're doing Blind Date with a Book, where you can find a book that we have picked out and wrapped it, and you won't know what it is, and neither will we. Um, I mean, so, I might know what it is, because I picked yeah. and wrapped a lot of them. But um, So I just got Ninth House. Oh. That's what I just picked out. Um, I took it home Monday. Yes. I had actually turned around and I grabbed the book off the shelf, checked it out, and even like covered up the receipt so I couldn't read what I grabbed. And I didn't open it till I went home. <laughs> nice. So ask me again in two weeks and I'll let you know how that goes. <laughs> I hope you like it because nice. I picked it out. <laughs> it sounds interesting. Good. So I've heard it's really good. Dark, I like it. Dark Magic Obviously. Society, I'll take it. <laughs> Jen, what are you reading? Okay, last night I just finished All Creatures Great and Small by James Harriet because I'm oh, watching yeah. series because of who I am as a person. <laughs> and I, I enjoyed it. I don't know if I'm going to bother seeking out all like 16 other books in that same series that he's written, but I did. Think it was, I, I'm exaggerating some, but there's definitely like six. <laughs> And then I just started this morning on the way to the wedding by Julia Quinn, which means I'm on my seventh of eight Bridgerton books. I am by no means reading them in order because I'm relying on Malcat to deliver them to me. But I'm enjoying <laughs> this one so far. Awesome. Andy, Andy, what are you reading? For your recommendation, although as much as I'm loving it, I don't think I'm enjoying it as much as you are children of blood and bone right now, I am listening to Howl's Moving Castle, which uh, by (laughs) Diana Wynne Jones. And I really, really am. It's, it's plucky. It's delightful. It's really a wonderful story. Um, It's narrated by Jenny Sterling. I've never heard her narrate before, but she's doing a very good job. Um, Yeah. There are hints of Fiona Hardingham as a narrator within her. And I really, really appreciate that. Um, and I'm also reading just cause I, I've read it before years ago, like probably a decade ago, but, uh, with the recent popularity of WandaVision, um, on Disney plus, I grabbed, um, the house of M and I think I recommended that to you before Anthony, cause it's really yeah. kind of a cerebral take on Scarlet Witch. It's really kind of neat. That's so I'm reading the two. Um, but yes. Oh. I also I wanted to throw in there because uh, Aaron plugged Blind Date with a book. Um, Grant, your Donner Party read went out. Oh, it did. Oh, yeah. What was the what was the tagline you used to make it seem like a sweet, uh, warm book was great for food lovers? That is what I said. So 
I'm, I'm, I'm glad somebody selected it. I'll I'll be interested to see what they think. You can't he's, see like not just like dying. <laughs> when I I'm the one who wrote the description on that book, and I saw that in the doc, and I just had to put my head down on the desk for like five minutes. <laughs> No, it's it, it for curiosity for you know your understanding. She was like a ninety thousand year old woman. I mean, I probably oh. not her. She's if she survives this, I pray. You know, she was she, party. It won't be that much of a surprise. That's true, actually. She yeah. might enjoy understanding like <laughs> what was going on. <laughs> Like as, as long as it doesn't have full color pictures of, you know, <laughs> and also too, um, segueing into the topic at hand, we also have in the library a wonderful uh, Black History Month display as curated by our one and only Anthony. <laughs> I is, said it's not. <laughs> didn't you I set did it up? I did. I just didn't expect you to use my name as a finisher. <laughs> So, are you taking point, Mr. Anthony, or is it Jen? Oh, I guess I will, because uh, Jen and I were talking about, what was it, classic literature, Jen? Classics and what sort of gets deemed important within yeah. the canon, even if it's not necessarily like considered a classic yet, maybe based on recency, but what we give the most focus and praise and attention to in black literature specifically. Yeah. So yes. And what's interesting, we'll just kick it off, I guess. Uh, what's interesting about that to me is that, um, Oh gosh. Wow. <laughs> My brain is blanking already. <laughs> Words, <Yeah>. do you... <laughs> well, okay. So what's interesting about African-American literature is that in the main part, what gets attention is all of the books about race, um, fiction and nonfiction, which is an under. I'm going to say that it's understandable, but I am I'm very much a Zora Neale Hurston, Toni Morrison person who both of whom argued that if we're going to write fiction, we might as well write what we want because that's the whole point um whereas you know even and what's interesting about those two women is that even when they're discussed in the academy you know when they're discussed in schools when they're discussed on reviews the things that are pointed out are always about race what's not pointed out is the incredible gift that they have with language the incredible gift that they have with characters how they build plot um and when you compare black authors, you never compare them to white authors <laughs> or you compare them to like the greats, right? So, you know, you can say that Toni Morrison like writes like Shakespeare and Nabokov, but you can't say that she writes like uh, Saul Bellow, who was of her same generation. I mean, you know, it's... It's kind of unfair, yeah, but, too, because when you talk about classic authors from um, times of yore, you know, it's it's <laughs> it's really not that they're the cream of the crop. It's a lack of options. I mean, if you... Right, exactly. Yeah. And also, too, just from an academic perspective, of course, a great amount of the canon is 
white male authors because a great amount of the professors and other literary critics of the day were other white dudes. Yeah. yeah. So like, not that none of them who have stayed in the canon have any value. I've read plenty of them and enjoyed them. But like, of course, like the occasional white woman got put in, but not much else mm -hmm. until more recently. It just never would have occurred to them. Yeah, and I think what's interesting, um, which is why I encourage people to sort of just take a sneak peek at the Harlem Renaissance, just do a quick Google search of all of the writers that were writing during the Harlem Renaissance, because you're, there's so many of them, and they were all doing just completely, not completely, yeah, they were doing different things. Like, they were very interested in telling stories, more so than you know, saying, this is how it feels to be black. <laughs> my least favorite kind of novel, but that's just me. <laughs> so anyway, thoughts, opinions, things that you've read and loved. I don't care where this goes. You know, oh. My noise upstairs. <laughs> What's up? Rolling a card upstairs, continue. Oh. Um. You and I had a brief conversation on camera the other day, Anthony, about, and which is weird because I'm glad you checked out that book, Concrete Rose by Angie Thomas. But you mm -hmm. also had, you also have strong opinions of Angie Thomas' <laughs> contribution to recent literature slash recent African American African American literature. Um, I'm, if anyone well, who's read, I, I'll start with The Hate You Give, which is, I think in one of your own bits of dialogue, you said that that's like the standard of how it should be or how it is. I can't, I'm, I'm, I can't remember exact wording you used, but mm -hmm. I, I read it to review it for an audiobook function, and it led me to like the next book. When On the Come Up came out, I was like, oh yeah, I'm eating it right up, because not only is it Angie Thomas, it's... <sighs> Bonnie Turpin. Um, oh, he narrates the two books. Oh, so if you want to listen to it, give it a go. And then, you know, segueing into Concrete Rose, it, you know, Dion Graham narrates that wonderful man, wonderful narrator. But I, I don't want to talk too much about that specific book. I mean, hopefully the listeners have an understanding of what the hate you give, at least the hate you give by way of movie or novel at this point. Uh, but what did you, what did you think? What did you say about it again? I mean, can you extrapolate on? So I think you and I had a conversation one morning about, cause you had listened to Concrete Rose and I, <laughs> by way of exaggeration, like I sometimes do. Uh, Never. <laughs> I I said that I would never read The Hate You Give um, because it's not for me. I don't know if that's really exaggeration on your part. I think you said it's all you ever wanted. I have. <laughs> and I think if I ever do end up reading it, it'll be for academic purposes, um, which sounds terrible. Um, but... Well, let me think about that. Okay, so the reason that I have very strong feelings about that book in particular and All American Boys by Jason Reynolds and um, Brendan Kiley 
is because those books continue that tradition of uh, writing about the black experience as if there's only as if there's only one mode of the black experience as if you know you know if you haven't been pulled over by police and your life hasn't been threatened and you haven't marched in uh, in defense of someone's life and if you haven't you know, whatever, 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 then you're not as black <laughs> as everybody else. And that's just a feeling that I get every time I see those kinds of books, because what I wonder is why hasn't a book like Felix Ever After become a mega best-selling uh, thing in the same way? Well, Felix Ever After is a rom-com by and about a trans uh, teenager who is also black. And that is just not a popular story <laughs> for people, despite the statistics that, you know, black trans women are dying faster than everybody else. Or no, let me correct that, are being murdered faster than everybody else in the country. Mm -hmm. That that narrative could never be in today's time a popular one because it doesn't make us comfortable. It doesn't tell us what we already know. It doesn't tell us that, oh no, they're in danger. Let's save them. Or, oh no, let's feel guilty about how in danger they are. And that's why I get really prickly about that particular strain of African-American literature, despite how well-written it often is. I mean, Native Son, Invisible Man, <laughs> you know, there's a whole category of these books that are just incredibly written um, and well rewarded. But then you have someone like James Baldwin, whose entire career, he was never given a major award. And yet he wrote six of the best written novels in American literature because he's just that good of a writer. Um, but he was never awarded a major award. And the work of his that is revered the most in the Academy are all of his nonfiction books that discuss uh, the racial uh, implications of those times, which was the civil rights era. Um, so, you know, it's like that kind of hypocrisy makes me prickly. Hmm. No, I don't. I feel like you're definitely onto something there because like, I have read and enjoyed The Hate You Give. I have read and enjoyed Concrete Rose. I do and will want to reread them. Like, I, And I think they are genuinely very good books. I would recommend them to people who are looking for that kind of story. But I do also agree that like, yes, anytime almost any black book comes out anymore, I feel like I'm just waiting for someone to compare it to The Hate You Give because that's somehow now the gold standard of narrative. And all of them should focus on, you know, exactly how deeply race affects people's lives and everything. Meanwhile, what I read and enjoyed more really is You Should Get Crowned by Leah Johnson, which yes. still talks about race and sexuality and all of this kind of thing that also affects people's lives. And it did just get a stonewall on her, which I'm very happy about. But it also mm -hmm. has sort of like stratospheric everyone in the world is talking about this this is quote unquote an important book response like the hate you give got and i do think some of those factors you were talking about are at play there anthony yeah 
You know, it kind of lends well. I mean, I, I and when we've had conversations with Anthony about that, I, I totally nod my head and realize, you know, what, he's right. He's definitely right. And, you know, giving shout out to African-American stories or or authors writing of something. Again, you've already waxed somewhat poetic on Children of Blood and Bone, which. So good. I think that's one of the first books that I'd come across it, as a non-African, as a Caucasian male. That's one of the first books I can remember um, in my 40 years that written by an African-American, the characters are distinctly, you know, well, you can't really call them African because it's not really Africa within the story, but black. And it doesn't really have to do with necessarily modern issues. I mean, it does, but it's probably more intelligently woven in, and I've never really done a good book discussion about it. It's just a fantasy story. There's magic. Like, to you, I often sell it as Avatar The Last Airbender meets Africa. That's, I got an incredible fantasy story, one of the better fantasy stories that I've picked up in years, and it's almost always after the fact. Like, looking at the cover, I'm like, oh, these characters are clearly you know, African-American inspired. Like sometimes I almost forget because it's just that good of a story. Anyways, I'm going off a little bit, but um, maybe (laughs) what were, would you want to see more? Is that what you want to see more of? Something that's not focusing on the oppression. You want to see more just, here's a funny rom-com with an African-American. Here's a crazy sci-fi novel which i know someone here is in the process of writing um with (laughs) anyway give me more drill i want more drill i know i know you do (laughs) um yeah so i think I, i feel like in the most interesting way like it's changing um and it's changing really fast so within the last five years angie thomas gets a lot of attention because of that one book but the women who don't get a lot of attention are the women who are doing far and away more rangy and interesting uh, work. I mean, you've got Tiffany D. Jackson out there just slaying it. I mean, just pumping out books. And, you know, all of her characters are black, just in the same way that Angie Thomas's are. But they're, you know, she's sort of taking on this like psycholo- dark psychology approach to them. Like how does something terrifying affect the psyche of this, of this person? Um, so she's sort of like, um, I'm trying to think of, there's a classic YA example of someone who used to do that all the time. I guess Lurleen McDaniel kind of. Um, well, that's a throwback. <laughs> yeah, right. No, because because that's the thing. Like, like the, the, it's definitely like, or even like Chris Crutcher. I feel like she's like channeling Chris Crutcher in a way, but doing it her own way. Um, and then you have Nick Stone, who started her with Dear Martin, but then immediately like did a super left turn uh, to a romantic comedy, which no one ever talks about, which is Odd One Out, um, where it's a love triangle where every single person within the love triangle is in love with two other people within the love triangle. Because that's how love triangles should work. But anyway. Uh, that's <laughs> fantastic. Right. Um, and then there's like, 
she did this book called Jackpot, which is very much like this, like um, a high chase thriller kind of thing, like Ocean's Eleven inspired almost. Uh, you have Lamar Giles, who started off with doing thrillers and has never once like dipped into the race pool to make a career for himself. And is only now like on his 10th book or something become relevant when a whole bunch of other black authors have been given attention. So I think that's what I'm interested in seeing. I'm so much less interested in the Jason Reynolds and Andrew Thomas because as good as they are in terms of writing, they have a very specific vision that has to do with the very same things that we've always seen from black authors who actually make money. I want difference. I want us to do the kinds of things that other authors uh, are praised for. I mean, if you had a black author who came out now who wrote a wizard school story and it was brilliant, would we ever hear of them? Hmm. I don't know. (laughs) Right. That's, that's sort of my quibble. And I know that it's like difficult because there are a whole category of books out right now, but they've only developed in the last five years. And thankfully these authors have like put the pedal to the metal and they've written these books really fast um, otherwise, this would still be a sort of a moot conversation, I guess. I mean, I think I'm hoping this is also just a sign to I'm sort of thinking it more in like the publishing industry emphasis intended mm-hmm. at large. Yeah. There's so much of the assumption, I think, that like, OK, picture who's reading your book. Do you think somebody who looks like me, a young white woman? who has, you know, spare time and all of that kind of thing. Or, you know, it's publishing finally realizing too that like people of other skin colors, other sexualities, other religions, et cetera, also want to read books and would like to see themselves reflected in the books and not just as the big quote unquote issue of the story, but as full realized people with full realized lives who yes, may have raised them up, may have sexuality, may have whatever come up as something that affects their life, but isn't necessarily like the first and primary driving force of the story. It's like B plot compared to like A plot. Yeah. Yeah. Or even there's this book uh, that I'm finishing now, which is called This is Kind of an Epic Love Story, which Jen knows I love. (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard you say this before. (laughs) Uh, It's by Case and Calendar, who is just, uh, they're everything. I love them so much. Um, But yeah, it's this, this story in which race, and sexuality don't come up as issues. It literally, all the characters are queer, except I think the one white dude. <laughs> and even him, like, he's such a soft boy that I'm like, what you had, boy? Like, <laughs> he's just, he's like, it's, it's, a, it's a, so endearing. But then, you know, and all the, all the characters except for the white dude are like of color. And none of that is an issue. The love interest is deaf or is a member of the deaf community. And sign language is a major part of how the book is written. Hmm. But again, it's, it's not an issue. It's not, you know, I had to learn this because, it, no, it's literally just woven into the story. It keeps the romance alive and functional and beautiful and frustrating. I mean, like, you know, that character gets to be frustrating and frustrated. Um, 
it, it's just it's so uh, the craft is so excellent, and yet that book still like it doesn't have a movie, it doesn't have a TV series, it did not make Case and Calendar a household name. Like you know, it's to me that seems so um, indicative of the whole conversation, I guess, because of something that well written, which is doing things that. I mean, how many of us have ever read a deaf character? How many, how many of us have ever read American Sign Language written as prose? That's... I have in that book. <laughs> Not in actual, like, published fiction, but in fan fiction, most likely. Ooh! There's, like, like, in my own opinion, but, like, in fan fiction, you'll see, like, those types of things acknowledged more often than not as, yeah. like, arching themes and I'm seeing this a lot more like in so I guess like fan fiction writers alluding to the fact that they might become actual authors in the future like I'm seeing a lot more of what you're talking about where where they're like plot A is more important than focusing on like the certain aspects of characters like their like struggles their like fights but they're still like acknowledged a plot compared to B plot and all of their stuff is like acknowledged as B plot. So you see a lot of like hard of hearing characters in there. You see a lot of trans characters and they're written really, really well, but like yeah. you never really like the thing that I've noticed is you never really notice that they're hard of hearing or they're trans or they're having some type of struggle until they acknowledge it and then you're like wait what and you have to like go back like five chapters just <laughs> to understand like, wait they were having this problem the whole time and i didn't even know it like that's fantastic writing to me where yeah. i have yeah. like oh i have to go back and look oh they were having this trouble and there's like a whole bunch of context i missed yeah and i think that's some of the nature of fan fiction too is that like especially i think a lot of the time the authors of certain fan fiction stories tend to reflect the characters that they mm -hmm. are writing about. And so I think mm -hmm. you see more, you know, deaf authors, trans authors, authors mm -hmm. of color, mm -hmm. et cetera, writing stories about the characters that they have found in media and gone, hi, you know, I love that you're in a piece of media where like the A plot is police brutality, racism, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, homophobia, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to take you and we're going to make a nice coffee shop AU and we're going to talk <laughs> about race in it. And it will, you know, it will be important. It will be the respect it deserves. But I'm also going to give you a break. We're going to wrap you in a blanket and give you some hot chocolate for a minute. That type of thing. <laughs> also, just reflecting back on what both Anthony and I have said about the types of Black novels that we have enjoyed recently and how they may or may not be seeing the sort of worldwide acclaim we think they deserve. We're also reading rom-coms right now. So of course, I feel like there is that factor too of like, maybe now, maybe Bridgerton has finally done it. Maybe we're finally gonna get the revival of like romance and the rom-com that we deserve in video media. But like, I, you know, yes, possibly reason number one is that they're not focusing on sort of like what we as a culture want to talk about in regards to race right now. But two, if the primary focus is romance, it always takes longer for that to get the sort of pickup and respect it deserves as well. 
That's true. But you know, something that's all, often commented on by, by queer black writers is how fast Love, Simon became a movie. <laughs> true, true. There's always like, there's always the one exception. Yes. Right. And don't get me wrong. Like I love Love, Simon, the book, the audiobook is delicious. You should listen to it. Um, and the movie is literally one of my favorite things. I, I cried and felt things and cried again and laughed and, uh, all the things. I want to have Simon Spear as my child, although that wouldn't work. Yeah. Anyway, that's- <laughs> um, so, like, it's 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 a case of like these things can still be great, and we can still love them, but we should also be recognizing, or should be capable of recognizing, that there are limitations that we also accept too readily, um, and that causes the problem to persist i mean if you're if your entire population of uh oppressed peoples have to keep talking about how oppressed they are <laughs> that kind of means that somebody's not listening like it's just yeah wrong <laughs> you know so at that point again i'm with zora neale hurston so zora neale hurston and richard wright got into a really big fight to such a degree that Richard Wright buried Zora Neale Hurston's entire body of work, which if you've ever like, just go to the Goodreads and look up how much she did in her lifetime. It takes quite an effort to bury that much work. Um, But he did so because one, he was sexist and a pig, (laughs) but also because he said he fully believed that uh, African-American literature had a responsibility to basically to teach white people about how bad they treated us. And if you felt guilty as a white person reading his work, then good. He achieved his goal. And Zora Neale Hurston clapped back and was like, boo, you want to be chained to the master forever? I don't think so. I'm going to write what I want to write. And I don't care what you think. I don't care what they think. I'm just going to write what I want to write. And she did. And he hated her for it. So, you know. You know, it's almost like a weird little thing. And this is actually, as you were talking about that, I started thinking about a a recent magazine cover within the literary world that made the mistake of using um, kind of a pseudo form of blackface of a young white reader on the cover. Yeah. If you're going to do it, I'm just going to call them out. School Library Journal, do better. From one youth library assistant to the school of to, – to, to young library services. Like, do better. That was – I almost want to put a sound effect of shots being fired when you said that. Um, <laughs> but, no, it's – I'm getting – it's – like, why – I, I almost think that's a poor excuse. Like, I mean, I still have so much to learn, but I grew up in a neighborhood and some of my earliest friends were not of the same color or this skin color as me. Um, why is it up to literature like black authors, African-American authors to educate white people, become friends with them? You know, well, yeah, but it's philanthropic to educate you either. <laughs> What's up? It's not up to us to educate you either. <laughs> no, 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 it's not. But just okay. listen, no, become, yeah. you don't have to have conversations with them to kind of observe things growing up. Yeah, I see what you mean. 
immersion within. But then again, I just why is why does it have to serve to educate someone else? Why does the literature have to serve to educate? Because I think we as you know especially like sort of as the book people that we are you know literally doing a library podcast right now yeah <laughs> i think all kool-aid at one point or another about like the power of stories and i by no means want to downplay the power of stories we have all had stories that have made a great impact on our lives but i feel like so much of the time like you know oh, you know, this narrative has something that's bad for the children, or this narrative is going to serve to show the world, you know, I'm going to shine the spotlight on whatever injustice that they rightfully want to call out. Mm -hmm. But I feel like people forget sometimes, like, yes, stories do have power, literature has power, movies have power, all of that kind of thing. And if you want to go ahead and make that movie that is maybe intended as educational, that's great and that's important. But there are other places like we don't live life in a vacuum. I don't go out and read a story about a murderer and then go murder somebody like all of it. Like there are more than one factor at play here. (laughs) Yeah, I want to point out like two specific examples from two very different styles of media that help with this, because I feel like anyone listening to this is going to be like, oh, my God, he hates Jason Reynolds. And it's like, no. So. Uh, I'll point to his debut novel, When I Was the Greatest, which is an incredible book, so underrated. Um, And there's a section in the story where the central character and his two neighbors are going to go to a party. And they know that they need to, like, you know, look right. If you're going to go to a party and you're going to attract, you know, attract anybody, then you got to look good, right? So they concoct a way to get like a, a, a haircut. And as I was reading the scene, I had I literally like had chills all over my body because the description of the haircut was literally something that I had experienced from my earliest memories. My earliest memories are of my father cutting my hair. But I had never, ever in my life read a book in which a black character got a haircut. <laughs> so, like, there's such a, a need for representation in that regard that something that small can be overlooked by people who are looking at the book for something else, um, something arbitrary. Whereas, like, as a black person and as a reader, I just looked at that and went, oh, my, I've never read this before. <laughs> you know, and then the other example I'll give is Black Panther, which <laughs> enough said. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you know, it's 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 just one of those things where I get I get why certain things get hyped, but uh, we can do better. I don't know. I want I want a a really like scary, spooky, um, terrifying book by a black author for Grant. <laughs> okay, we'll get that. We'll, I will we'll find that too. That'd be up my alley. Hmm. Right, Grant. What was it? Oh. <laughs> Hello. Hi. I I actually have a question for you. Yeah. So, you read like. You read like, do you just read horror? You read horror and psychological thrillers, or like? No, I what mean, would you kind of that? um, 
I want to, I don't know. I don't really um, actively seek out like certain genres, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I mean, I kind of just uh, usually end up going in that direction. <laughs> or right. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I was actually trying to think of that. Um, and I really, I'm not sure if I've read a straight horror or yeah, a straight horror novel written by an African-American author. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. Does anybody have any recommendations? <laughs> I do. I am working. Yes. I'm not Googling it. <laughs> if it's necessarily a straight horror novel and Anthony may be able to speak to this to me. <laughs> But first, I'm trying to get the actual title. Yes. So, Anthony, what do you think hmm. if I recommend When No One Is Watching by Alyssa Cole? Oh, well, it's Alyssa Cole, so yes. <laughs> I heard it described as, like, very similar to uh, Get Out. Ooh. Oh. Well, oh, yes. Google anyway, sorry. <laughs> mystery, thriller, suspense, contemporary literature. Yeah. Okay. I Yes. Oh, also, there's a book coming out in July. I'm going to plug this book as often as I possibly can because, yes, my friend wrote it, but also, oh, it's so good. Um, oh, gosh, and the title just left me. Oh, The Taking of Jake Livingston by Ryan Douglas. If you want to be terrified, that's a good one. But what if I don't want to be terrified? Oh, well... Um, I would say read with a light on, but I was reading with a light on at like six o'clock in the morning and I was shivering with terror. Maybe Ooh, you need so. to play some light on Disney classics in the background. But like, I'm not going to be handling it well afterwards. Yeah, no, it, it is. It is truly terrifying. And and part of that has to do with the fact that it's so well written that the images just pop. I mean, the images reach out of the Kindle and slap you. You know, like it's. Ow. Uh, it's so good. And when when is that coming out? July thirteenth. July thirteenth. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's my mother's birthday. Pretty sure I already have it in a cart. Awesome. Yes, I, I have a pre-ordering campaign already ready because I I will not stop shouting about this book. I will not stop handing it to people. So get ready. A uh, suggestion, and forgive me if somehow this is somewhere within the library, but and we have it, and I just haven't seen it. Um, mm -hmm. But could we start um, a permanent diversity inclusion, just differences like section, like maybe NCAP? That's like a permanent. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I mean, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> well don't ask well um, jen what do you think about that <laughs> before i start I, I guess in what sense because i do i cannot say i'm always 100 percent successful at this but when i am just making our general book displays for whatever theme we're going for mm -hmm. i do actively try to make sure i'm not just including straight white authors who are yeah, either i notice trying to do just in it as part of the topic like make sure that when i'm doing whatever display i'm doing 
romance novels for February, whatever it is, that they are just inclusive because like, I don't, I'm not above doing any sort of like here, these are diverse books, but like, why shouldn't we just include them in what we're already doing? Why can't we do both? And well, the best answer. (laughs) I'll I'll tell you why. (laughs) Because so do you remember we've all been in bookstores, right? We all sort of grew up going to bookstores. Yeah. Never been to a bookstore. Uh, Girl. (laughs) But every, for a while, like especially in the 90s, there was this lovely section of the bookstore, which is thankfully decreased in size and hopefully will go away, called the African-American literature section or the black people's, like they all had different sort of names, but that was the general function and gist of the section yeah so the the most dreadful section of the store because again you go over there and you see oh look at all the pretty books about race and racial politics but you don't see nk jemison who is masterful but because she's fantasy she goes in the fantasy section you shelf her in fantasy you don't see any YA books because, well, those are for children. So put those in the YA section. That's, that's where they're going to look for them. You know, you don't see Jackie Woodson or who's been a huge titan of children's literature for 30 years. I mean, so the section in of itself becomes all about the very thing that nobody really wants to go shopping for, it turns out. So then their sales tank and then publishers get to say that neat little phrase of, hey, people don't read black authors work so we can't really publish that many and blah 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 and on and on and on now that's a publishing issue and i think sometimes <laughs> it's almost off-putting or just kind of showboating and like look i made a diversity display for the sake of it but it just feels yeah. like I'm sort of signaling how cool i am it is that i did this and on some level too like this isn't quite the exact same example, but I'm thinking more specifically of like queer books, uh, especially for younger people and how yeah. it's great that some libraries have stickers on the side saying that this is an LGBTQ book because it does for the people who are actually looking for that and have the ability to read that in public without getting any sort of censure. It's very helpful for easy location, but for mm-hmm. people who are maybe not ready to have that like emblazoned on a rainbow sticker on the side of their book, or if it is unsafe for them to have that emblazoned on a rainbow sticker on the side of their book, it almost does the reverse where now nobody will touch that because they know, and that's a problem for them for some reason. And it's hard to balance sort of those competing interests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Like not like, you know, not quite the same for books by authors of color, obviously, but I think some of those no. factors, like it's great if I shove all of the books by authors of color into a special display but then that sort of takes away some of the findability of like okay it's just in the section with everything else where it should be where all of the young adult literature Mm. should just get to live on one shelf yeah because what happens when you have intersectionality you have a queer black female trans author where do you put her (laughs) 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 belongs Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, well, it's, we have the Pride Month display, and you know, we'll pull Kaysen's books for that. And then in June, when we do the Pride display, we can pull them again. We can always do more than one round of display building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, everybody, we got our vegetables today. Yay! Okay, Erin is really excited because we haven't done the snack yet, and she's just flapping the piece of paper ready to go. And I have to leave them like three minutes. And, we, and she has to get back yeah. upstairs. Yes. So, like, is there anything else anybody wants to wrap up with before we let Erin do the snack? The only thing I want to say is when Erin puts down the snack, Grant has to go first. Okay. So well, your- <laughs> this one might be interesting enough that he might have to go first. But, um, so uh, Dracula, Wolfman, or Frankenstein's monster? Go. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> okay. I feel like... Frankenstein's monster is the most, um, I don't know. I, I don't want to say gentle because I feel like he could accidentally like snap you in half or something. But t- tender, he's the tenderest of the three. So perhaps perhaps he's the best marriage material. Um, oh, I would probably say Snog Dracula. And unfortunately, I would have to murder the, murder the wolf man. Honestly, yes! I, we're like 10, yes! <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Wait, Andy, do you have a consenting opinion or consent this, this Yeah, know, thank you. I think my and and, and I'm I'm more aligning with uh Grant because his logic was pretty, pretty solid. Uh yeah. so I'm gonna go with I'm gonna say his is where I think I would end up. Although initially my first thought was Wolfman might be the snog because that could <laughs> that could be a wild time. Okay, Dracula, he's immortal, so like as long as he chooses you as his partner, you know you're in it for the long haul. And then Do you choose Dracula? Can, can 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 I just like like point out that like Dracula has like three wives in the book? Yeah. So <laughs> he could use a husband. So obviously right. He has to be good at something. So there's your snogging material. But like, I don't think I want to compete compete with three other vampire ladies for the attention of my husband. I'm like sorry. So like, he can stay in the snog category. But like, would that be called like five? Would that be a quintuple? Wait, how many? Yeah. Well, it would be a polypod at that point. Yeah. 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 But you know, Andy, uh, to your point about he could use a husband in the Gary Oldman 2000 movie. Yeah, it there are so many homoerotic scenes. Yeah, with baby Keanu Reeves that I'm just like, it's the only reason I watched that movie. (laughs) Are you sure you don't watch it for uh, Keanu Reeves's uh, excellent British accent? (laughs) You know, I love Keanu Reeves, but that is not one reason why. Future discussion, we should talk about awful British accents in stage and movies. Kevin Costner and Keanu Reeves, shout out. (laughs) Dare you to tag them in this? I will tag them in this. It'll be great. But I think tonight, or today has been a really, really, I like today. This is wonderful. Oh. Good, yay! Um, segue into the music. Who, by the way, was composed by a black composer? All right. Wait, Scott Joplin and- was? Yes, it was. Yes. 
I'm looking this up now. Babe, Jesus. People. Okay, well, Aaron's leaving. I'm going upstairs because I have to. Bye, Aaron. So long. Farewell. I'm working from.